which might seem insignificant to you, but it is important that we realize that Paul is not writing this letter to an individual, but rather to a community. He does not say that you must not get tired all on your own, but rather that we collectively must not tire out. We collectively must not grow weary. Do you see how he takes for granted that the Christian life is something that happens in community? He, he just assumes that we're all on the same page with that. For Paul, there is no such thing as an unchurched Christian. Search the pages of the New Testament. You will never find a de-churched follower of Jesus. It is an oxymoron. If you want to follow Jesus, it is impossible for you to do it alone. I had a friend read through this message before coming and visiting to you tonight, visiting with you tonight, and, and he highlighted that word impossible in that sentence, and he said, the, the debater in me wants to find an exception to this word, and I said, go ahead, open the book, I dare you, find something that tells you that Jesus is okay with an isolated Christian. But actually, I, I want to lean in even more than that. Because if you read the New Testament, not only do you not find an unchurched Christian, you know what else you'll never find? A church attender. You'll never find a Sunday churchgoer. In, in the New Testament, churches don't have attenders. Do you know what they have? They have eyes and ears and arms and legs and feet and hands. They have members. They have members all united in the head who is Christ. Friends, if you have not committed yourself to a local church community, can I just tell you as a, as a fellow millennial and a pastor who sees many of my friends walking away from the church thinking they can give up on the church without giving up on God, if you have not committed yourself to a local church community, you are putting yourself in danger of growing weary and giving up. That, that, that is just the truth. Thrive is a wonderful place for you to be on Thursday nights. I am so glad that this ministry exists, that Michael is leading it. But Michael will be the first one to tell you, Thrive is not a church. Thrive is a wonderful uh, place to find community, but, but Thrive is a, a ministry, an inter-church ministry that supports the Big C Church in Gig Harbor, but it's not a church in and of itself. So, so hear me, keep coming to Thrive, keep participating, keep serving, keep giving, go on the retreats, but don't do so at the neglect of becoming a member of a local church. We see the importance of being a, a member of a church community if you just simply allow your eyes to scroll up to the top of chapter 6. Verse 1, Paul says, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the, the church community, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you want to not give up on God, start by surrounding yourself with people. Even better, God's people. Join a church. Contribute to the church. Don't, don't just go to consume, but, but be a, a contributor. Serve and give and bear one another's burdens. What else do we see? 
If you read on in the verse, the second thing we see is that we need persistence. Paul says, so we must not get tired. That word for getting tired is interesting. Sometimes in other uh, parts of the New Testament, that same word is translated to become discouraged. This is not necessarily a, a physical tiredness that Paul is talking about. It is, it is rather to become emotionally, spiritually, mentally tired to the point of quitting. And have you ever noticed that we're, we tend to get emotionally and mentally and spiritually tired long before we get physically faint? Paul here is warning us against the temptation of allowing a weary heart to arrest the work of our hands. He is pointing us to live with persistence and resilience in the face of tiring circumstances. The kind of persistence that can only come from a dependence on God. I don't think that Paul is really trying to ignore or make light of the fact that life can be tiring. You barely have to walk out your front door in the morning to know that life can be tiring. I don't think that Paul is negating that in any way. Rather, I think there's a wisdom principle at play here, that, that part of being resilient or persistent is knowing how to recognize and discern when you tend to get tired and knowing how to take the proper steps to not only care for yourself, but gospel yourself, to surround yourself by people who will bear your burdens with you. might be worth thinking, what makes you feel tired? Maybe you're an introvert and you feel tired because two minutes ago I suggested you should join a local church. <laughs> and you're like, Thrive is my, my whole social capacity for the whole week. Sorry about that. Maybe, maybe you're tired because you've approached church your whole life as an environment where you have to put up a facade. And the, the work of being something you're not for a people that don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in has just worn you down. Maybe you're tired because you don't know anyone, feel known anywhere, feel accepted anywhere. Maybe you're tired because really you're lonely. Did you know that loneliness is one of the biggest health risks in our country right now? loneliness will steal more of your life than a pack of cigarettes a day. Particularly for young people. We know that life is tiring. Paul is inviting us here not to grow discouraged in our tiredness. Not to become worn down and get worn out. To grow weary. He doesn't name it here, but I'm willing to tell you that if Paul were standing here, you could ask him and he would say that this kind of persistence is the kind that can only come from the Holy Spirit, the God of all comfort, the advocate dwelling within us. Human initiative and drive can only get you so far. If you want to not give up on God, you need to learn how to cultivate persistence in God. There's a third thing that we see if we read on in the verse. The third thing I think we need if we're not going to give up on God is purpose. Paul says, so we must not get tired of what? Of doing good. 
What does Paul mean by doing good? You could easily read this verse and think, is Paul preaching some kind of new works-based righteousness? He's just telling us to like do good, but to what end? What does Paul actually mean by doing good? I think, I have a sneaking suspicion that this little phrase is actually Paul's shorthand way of referencing being a passionate Jesus follower, believing in Jesus for salvation, and out of that faith, living your life, experiencing God, out of that relationship with God, loving people and building legacy and impacting the communities around you. I think if you look at Galatians as a whole, you could probably infer that doing good probably refers to the many good things that Paul has instructed us to do already in the letter. Follow Jesus. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires in order to obey God. Participate in a local church. Having a faith that works through love. Loving a neighbor as yourself. Embodying the fruits of the Spirit. All of these things which flow out of a relationship with Jesus, I think, are what Paul refers to as doing good. It doesn't simply mean being a a nice person generally. Rather, it means acting in ways that align with God's will and desires, not just for you, but for the world. I was talking to a a friend, a a young man in our church just the other day who recently overheard a conversation between a couple 20-somethings in the YMCA locker room. They They were talking about future career ambitions, and one said to the other, I just want to do something that makes me a lot of money. Maybe you've had this conversation. Maybe you've been that person uh, on that side of the conversation. Can I just tell you, that's not a purpose. Like, that's not even a goal. That's a wish thrown up into thin air. Like, that's nothing. it's, It's here one moment, and it's gone the next. A purpose is something outside of yourself that your life is directed at, which gives color and shape and motivation to everything that you do. A good purpose, a meaningful purpose, will always direct you outside of yourself to something far greater than yourself. And as a Christian, we ought to say that the only worthy purpose of our lives is to live for God. In the language of the Westminster Catechism, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In everything we do, that ought to be our purpose, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Everything else will fade. The money will fade. The relationships will fade. Even the family will fade. But what we do with and for God will remain. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. We were created by Him to direct our whole lives back to Him. That is the purpose Paul wants to point us to when he says, doing good. You need a purpose for your life that aligns with God's purpose. I'll I'll say it even better. If you want to not give up on God, you just need God's purpose for your life. Fourth thing we need. Fourth thing we need if we don't want to give up on God is a perspective. Paul says at the end of this verse, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. What I find interesting here is that the proper perspective Paul offers us is dependent upon faith. Do you notice how Paul doesn't actually tell us when we will reap? Well, he does tell us when we will reap, but it's not very helpful, is it? He says, at the proper time. I told you all, I have a 16-month-old 
little boy at home, and I can tell him, hey, buddy, in a couple minutes, you can play with your toys for a couple more minutes, but then we're going to get ready for a bath. He has no concept of time. He's like very conversational, but he doesn't have a, a firm grasp on what a couple minutes means. All he knows is that he heard the word bath at the end of my sentence. He drops his toys and he runs down the hall, bath, 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 bath. I'm glad he's excited about it, but that's not what I meant. Sometimes when, when we are in the middle of the hard stuff of living for Jesus, of, of being passionate Jesus followers, of, of, of trying to do good out of our relationship with God, sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that there is a proper time in which we will reap that which God has promised, but the proper time is not up to us, it is up to Him. Faith-filled perspective is necessary if we're going to persevere in following Jesus. Her name was Florence Chadwick, and despite her many accomplishments, I'm willing to bet that you've probably never heard of her. Florence was a world-class swimmer back in the 40s, 50s, and even into the 60s, specializing in ocean swimming, or as I call it, stupidity. This just sounds... I'm sorry, this, that would be just me. Bravery is the proper word, but uh, that's, that's my fear talking, okay? Pray for me. One day in 1952, Florence decided to attempt something that I think is straight up crazy. She wanted to swim the 26-mile stretch of shark-infested waters between Catalina Island and Long Beach, California. Bless you. Bless, bless your spirit. Uh, Florence began to swim, surrounded by a small team of boats that kept an eye out for sharks and was ready to assist if and when she grew tired. And as she swam, a fog set in over the water, making it difficult to see even the boats around her, much less her destination on the far-off horizon. After 15 hours of swimming in the open ocean, she started to become tired you think? And she started to doubt whether she could make it all the way to the other side. This was the first woman to cross the English Channel in both directions. She was the, the most well-equipped to make this journey, but she started to doubt whether she'd be able to make it. Her mother encouraged her from one of the boats to continue on, and so she did, but she was only able to make it about an hour longer, and finally she gave up. Pull me into the boat she said. And when she had been pulled into one of the boats, she discovered to her despair that she had stopped swimming only about half a mile from her destination. She was asked about it the next day, and she's reported to have said, all I could see was the fog, but I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. With no perspective, with no end in sight, weariness won and stole the glory that should have been hers. Friends, I wonder if you caught it because I stopped talking about a swimmer in the 50s and I started talking about you and me. That the struggle that Florence faced on the open ocean off the coast of California is the same struggle that every woman and man that seeks to follow Jesus faithfully in life will face. 
We, we set off aware both of our destination and the dangers that lay along the way, acknowledging the difficulty that obedience to following Jesus will bring and probably believing ourselves to be more able than we have any right to. And if we are not careful, when faithfulness to Jesus takes you and I into some foggy days, we will be tempted to give up. And it will be all too easy because there are plenty of boats around waiting to rescue you, invite you in, and just say, take it easy. Give up all this hard work of following Jesus. Just get in the boat of relax. You're going to be invited into the boat, uh, the boat of self-help. You, you don't need Jesus for all this. Just get in with us and, and you can do it all on your own. You'll be invited into the, the boat of new age spirituality. You don't have to depend on, on the God of the universe. Rather, you can bend the universe to your own will if you buy the right crystals. You, you'll be invited to get into the boat of, of who cares what God says. Just move in with your girlfriend. It'll be cheaper. That's wise, isn't it? You, you'll be invited into the boat of just go along with the cultural narrative on sex and gender. It'll be easier for you. Don't make your life any harder than it has to be. The boat of just align with one political party or the other. Buy all the way in so that you never have to think critically for yourself, not even for one moment. You'll be invited into the boat of apathy, the boat of escapism, the, vote, the boat of addiction, the boat of self-righteousness and of idolatry, friends. There is a whole fleet ready and waiting to pick you up and promise you not a better life, but an easy life. And when you and I are tired and weary, nothing sounds better than a little bit of cheap rest. But can I tell you something? I serve a God who's with me in the water. I serve a God whose, whose spirit hovered over the face of the waters in Genesis 1 at creation. I serve a God who baptized the world in a flood and preserved a face, faithful family through the waters. A God who split the Red Sea, brought a river out of a rock in the desert, and stopped up the mighty Jordan with the ark of his presence so that his people could pass through the waters. A God who sent a fish to pick up a prophet and give him a watery Uber ride to the place where he didn't want to go. A God who calms the wind and the waves with nothing more than a word, who steps out onto the waters and invites us to join him, and who reaches down his hand to save us when we take our eyes off of him and start to sink. A God who invites us into the waters of baptism, like our brother Jake tonight, so that we could be reminded that God is with us in the water. Friends, why would you get out of the water when God is with you in the water? Yes. Following Jesus is hard. It's tiring. That's all true. But only as long as you do it in your own power. Did you know that you were never meant to follow God in your own power? Sometimes we believe the lie that God did something in his power, but that now we need to do everything in our power to meet him halfway. No, no, no. God didn't come halfway to get you. He came all the way to get you. It is not your power that keeps you in the Lord. It is not your power that, that keeps your family together. It is not your, your power that keeps you employed or your bills paid or anything else. It is only ever the power of God in you. I think this is why the prophet Isaiah wrote, do you not know? 
Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and he strengthens the powerless. Even youths may faint and grow weary. Young men may stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's the kind of power we need if we're going to not give up on God, friends. You can surround yourself with with good people. You can cultivate persistence. You can live for a a self-appointed purpose. You can have a good, healthy perspective, but all of those things will never be enough if they are separated from the power of God. Without the gospel, these words from Paul are just nothing more than a new law, a new works-based righteousness. But you have to realize that Paul tells us to work only because God is at work first in you and around you and through you. Paul tells us not to give up on God because God has not yet given up on you. That while we were still sinners, Jesus left heaven and came to earth to save you. That while you were an enemy of God, he died for you to make you a child of God. That he entered into the kingdom of darkness to transfer you into his marvelous light. And he rose from the dead so that you could have life and have it abundantly both now and into eternity. And he sits enthroned in the heavens promising to send the same spirit that raised him from the dead to empower you you and me to live a life for him. Therefore, Paul goes on in verse 10, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all. Catch this part. And especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Notice, Paul does not say, as you have the desire, work for the good of all. He doesn't say, as you have the time, when it's convenient for you, work for the good of all. He doesn't say, whenever you have a little extra in the bank, work for the good of all. He says, as we have opportunity. Anytime an opportunity arises, God's people should be there to meet it in whatever way we can. I'm not saying that you will ever solve everyone's problems. You can't even solve your own problems, but you can show up. That wasn't shade. That's for me too. We can show up. We can serve. We can testify to the goodness of God. And we can trust that as we work for the good of all, there is one who is already doing a far greater work, both in us and through us. Paul says in Philippians that it is God who works in you to work and for will according to his good purpose. Friends, this is, this is really all I came to say to you tonight. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And when you cannot see the shore through the fog, he is with you in the water filling you and empowering you by his Holy Spirit so that you can reap eternal life. That's the reaping that he's talking about here. In the previous verse, verse 8, Paul says that those who reap in the Spirit, or who sow in the Spirit will reap 
from the Spirit, eternal life. I'll leave you with this thought. I I was recently talking to a, a young man in our church who was struggling with where his life was at. He's wondering about a career change, and he's seeing so many people his age just being tossed around from one apartment to the next, one job to the next, one relationship to the next. And I want to share with you what I shared with him. I told him, I truly believe that the culture shapers that have the biggest influence on this generation will not be those with the biggest social media following. It will be those with the people, the persistence, the purpose, the perspective, and the power of God that comes from following the way of Jesus and living by his spirit. Those who are able to remain faithful long after everyone around you has grown tired and weary and wandered away. The most impactful culture shapers of our generation will be the people who can stay. The people who can put down roots, who can love their neighbor, raise a family, build a legacy, and impact his or her community over the course of decades. The person who embodies what Pastor Eugene Peterson called long obedience in the same direction. Those will be the true influencers of our generation because they will become countercultural beacons of life and hope in a weary world. And so, we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. Let's pray together. Glorious God, it is a constant wonder that you would invite us, us, me, to participate in your work in the world. It seems to my feeble mind that there must have been a better way to do things. And yet in your wisdom and sovereignty, power and love for your creation, you invite us. You call us. You command us, but you also empower us, and we thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, make us a people who do not give up, who live not by our own power, but by the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. That we may glorify you and enjoy you forever as we reap the reward of eternal life if we do not give up. Help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.